Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome, Lisa. Uh, tell us, uh, who are you and what do you do? Thank you. My name is Lisa Milam Perez. I am a senior labor and employment law analyst at CCH, Walters Kluwer Law and Business. I'm the managing editor of our Employment Law Daily, which is a daily labor and employment reporter for labor and employment law firm attorneys and for uh, corporate counsel who do labor and employment law. And we cover a variety of labor and employment law issues. I have focused on uh, kind of traditional NLRA labor law and wage hour law, but now I've become sort of a general practitioner, um, and we address the variety of employment law issues uh, for non-union employees as well. And the and you and recently the, the attorneys. you recently wrote a post about social media policies. Um, which had to do with the National Labor Relations Board uh, issuing some, you know, some instructions um, to their regional offices that potentially makes it more difficult for organizations to put a policy together that won't in some way be illegal, right? Well, it doesn't make it more difficult. Uh, ideally, uh, you can look at it as trying to clarify whether your policy is unlawful or not unlawful. You know, the NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, has always been out there. And I think for most employers, and most employers, of course, are non-union these days, they don't think about the NLRA if they don't have to, and ideally they don't have to. But the National Labor Relations Act has always protected uh, employees, whether they're union or non-union, when they're engaged in what's called concerted or prote- and protected activity. And when employees go on Facebook or on LinkedIn or on their blogs to talk about something that's angering them at work and they're interacting with their coworkers in doing so, that can be concerted and protected activity. Now, um, General, uh, the Acting General Counsel, Leif Solomon, put out a memo back in uh, August, I believe, the first memo, where he was trying to share with employers and with attorneys the way the board is handling these cases, the way they're looking at these cases, because they have been coming in through the um, NLRA uh, intake. Um, you know, people are getting fired over Facebook postings, and they're saying, wait, this is violating the NLRA. So it's not making it more difficult, ideally, but it's trying to clarify when it will be unlawful. So having said that. So tell us, if you would, be, before you get into the, the uh, cut to the chase here, give us an overview of some of the cases that have come into the board. Okay, let me give you an example of, and, and I've kind of separated this out. There's policies that are unlawful, and that's what we're really focusing on today. But usually, of course, these never, these never come before the NLRB in a vacuum. Usually someone's been fired for violating that policy, and then it becomes a different issue altogether. So let's see. For one example, we have a um, – we can give you an example of a particular policy. A collection agency, for example, issued a rule prohibiting employees from making disparaging comments about the company through any media. 
So, of course, including Facebook or blogs or any other electronic media. And what does that mean? That means basically I can't go on to any social network at all and say anything critical of my employer at all. That's right. And there's no way that that would be deemed permissible under the NLRA because it's just overbroad. What that does is interfere with employees' right to engage in protected, concerted activity under the NLRA. That means you can't go on there and complain about, we're not getting a raise again this year, and, and that is protected. That's, uh, that's protected under, under the union uh, labor laws. So I'll give you an example of, uh, an, of, of a particular case where this happened. So we have, um, in this case, we have a hospital that issued a social media policy and it said that it would not allow employees, prohibited employees from violating, compromising, or disregarding the rights and reasonable expectations of privacy and confidentiality of any person. Very broad. It prohibited any communication uh, that would constitute embarrassment, harassment, or defamation of the hospital or of any hospital employee or anything else that might damage the reputation or goodwill of the hospital, its staff, or employees. Very broad. And, mind you, not very different than most social media policies out there as employers have been drafting these. They want to be sure to encompass anything that can really give them trouble. So it's not that out of, uh, out of line to, to see a policy like this out there. So what happens here is there's a few nurses that are unhappy with a coworker who's always absent and calling in sick on weekends. And, of course, they end up bearing the brunt of her absence and having to come in, and their workload is um, affected because of it. So one weekend, um, a nurse um, is complaining about her colleague who called in sick. She posts a comment about it on her Facebook page complaining about the absence. Um, and then that um, Facebook comment made its way to the employer. One of the, um, her Facebook friends gave a copy of the posting to the hospital. And about a week later, she was reprimanded for her posting, told that she had uh, talked badly about the hospital, and as such, she violated the social media policy, and she was discharged. And she went to the National Labor Relations Board. So the, the, um, the board says that the policy here it's way too overbroad, and so it's unlawful. Um, the, the employer didn't give any definition or any guidance as to what would be considered private or confidential. And so, for example, um, it's unlawful under the NLRA to tell employees you can't talk to each other about your salary because employees are, by law, um, legally allowed to talk to each other about their wages and their salary because that's um, that goes straight to their, the terms and conditions of their employment. And so this is an example. The employer didn't tell them um, what's private, what's confidential. Um, there, was, um, there, there was no definition of, of what was um, really a violation, what would be deemed disparaging. So um, this policy was overbroad, and the employer violated the act not just by maintaining the policy, but then by discharging the employee uh, for violating the policy. Both of those were considered unfair labor practices, and then that's two charges under the Act. Got it. Now, you so, mentioned yeah. when, when you were speaking earlier that, you know, that there are some types of conversations that are protected. 
by the National Labor Relations Act. Yes. What are they? Well, anything that generally goes to an employee's terms or conditions of employment, and that's the statutory language that you'll hear a lot. There's two, there's two pieces to it. One is, is the discussion um, or the activity, and in this case, of course, the, the, the Facebook posting or the blog posting, is the discussion concerted activity, meaning is it intended to be interacting with your coworkers for mutual aid or protection. So we're gathering together here. We're going to try and get together and form a union or complain to the boss about our salaries or fill in the blank. So the first is concerted activity, whether it's meant to engage your coworkers in action related to their employment. So that means it doesn't protect activity that is just you're going off on your Facebook page and this is just some individual individual rant of yours against the employer and, um, you know, no one's really buying into it, or you're not even trying to sort of provoke your coworkers and in, in getting involved with it, then it wouldn't be protected. And then the other is protected activity, whether the discussion goes to um, your terms of employment, your wages and salary, the, you know, on workplace safety, um, discrimination, whether you feel that you're being discriminated against because you're female and the employer treats males better, all of those discussions about employment and your wages and your salary, your conditions at work every day. That is protected activity. That's, a, that's protected discussions. So, you know, sometimes it's a fine line, um, and that's when it gets tough. Um, let me think of... So I guess there's sort of two ways to go. On the one hand, you could have a policy that actually states that and says, you know, that this, that we don't intend to interfere with anybody's rights under the National Labor Relations Act and actually disclose that there. Um, the other way to go, I guess, would be to try to be really specific about what is considered private and confidential. Right. And I would consider um, both of those key parts of a social media policy. They, they're both worth doing, both important components of a policy. Neither will be, you know, ironclad, <laughs> unfortunately. But, but, yeah, there's a few ways that you can protect yourself. First is to have you know, a, a savings clause, so to speak, um, a provision in there saying exactly this. We are not um, trying to... Get in the way of you exercising your protected rights under the Act. We're not trying to in any way break the law, and any inf we will not enforce this policy such that it would violate your protected rights under the NLRA. And that's great, and that's probably at minimum a requirement. That doesn't mean, though, that it's foolproof. Uh, in fact, one uh, employer did have a savings clause of that sort, stating the rule would not be applied to efforts to organize, bargain collectively, or engage in concerted activity, but that actually didn't save that employer. There, there was still an unfair labor practice violation there. So it, it can't just be a generic disclaimer alone. Um, so then that's where we get into being specific. You want to look at your policy and, and try to flesh out these sort of vague general references to defamatory, inflammatory, inappropriate is a big one, um, 
disparaging, disrespectful, because, you know, of course that encompasses all sorts of complaints about the supervisor, complaints about the company. And um, what's one person's inappropriate, of course, is another person's, you know, perhaps body. Uh, and, you know, under the NLRA, there is a... Um, there is a, a, a long train of cases that protect what they call the law of the plant or the, the law, uh, or sorry, the language of the plant, um, talk, shop talk, meaning, you know, when your employees are kind of ticked off, you're going to give them, the, the law gives them some leeway to, um, to get pretty uh, saucy in their language and such. And it has to be really where you're threatening, where you're involved in making physical threats or such that the NLRA will say, okay, you're no longer protected because this language is, is no longer permissible. But there's some leeway there. And so when you're going to put a policy out there that says no inappropriate language, it's not necessarily going to pass muster. Let's talk about respectfulness for a moment because it is something that is often included in a social media policy. And let me give you some language and tell me if you think this would run afoul of the National Labor Relations Act. Um, Employees should always be respectful of every individual's legal right to express their opinions, whether those opinions are complimentary or critical. Our company recognizes and appreciates the rights of individuals to free speech. Well, that's very nice. It sounds very nice. And my only concern would be to define respectful. Does that mean that you're not going to respond and take issue and say, I disagree with your free speech statement, because then that could run afoul of the act. If I, so you want to be more specific and say, and by respectful we mean, um, and, and here let me draw some language that was considered permissible. If you want to say, we don't want, as a result of our employees' exercise of free speech, we don't want them to have to face your response that is vulgar, obscene, threatening, or intimidating, or harassing. So that, if you were to, say, uh, let's say, replace respectful with more specific language, I think it's a little easier to gauge what's vulgar or obscene than what's respectful. In that same sentence. So if in the respectfulness section of the policy, it also said harassment, ethnic slurs, personal insults, obscenity, racial or religious intolerance, and any other form of behavior prohibited in the workplace is also prohibited via social media channels. Right. And that's that's a beautiful language. That's a, that's a very nice policy because, you know, we're talking here about the NLRA, but the other big problem is that the employer also can be held accountable for racial and sexual harassment and discrimination by employees and supervisors in the workplace. And so, you know, you've got these competing interests and these competing legal uh, dangers here. So what you've just said is a very nice way to flesh it out. Instead of saying respectful, or even if you use the word respectful, you want to clarify that. You want to give examples. Um, One common clause you find in a lot of social media policies is some sort of measure that ensures those employees who use social media and talk about work, if they're not an official spokesperson, are not seen as one. And so often there will be these sort of disclaimers that are offered up, such as, you know, I work for XYZ company and this is my personal opinion, or I am not authorized to speak uh, on behalf of this company officially, but my personal opinion is, is that lawful? 
Well, that's gone a few different ways. And in this regard, this is where I think uh, the NLRA, or at least General uh, Counsel Solomon, the NLRB, is is pushing it a little bit. I mean, I think that a an employer, a company, has the right to sort of protect their brand and, in fact, in some ways, has a legal responsibility to ensure that, you know, the Federal Trade Commission has these rules as to what would constitute false advertising. If you've got an employee out there even boasting about your product, they can be held liable um, for false advertising. So I do think that... Um, there's a little bit of a, a stretch here, I think, on the NLRB's part, but there have been policies that have required sort of prior approval uh, before you post anything that has been held unlawful under the Act. So um, let's see. For example, um, the board uh, said that a requirement that employees obtain prior approval before identifying themselves as company employees on social media sites and expressly and, and requiring that they expressly state that their comments are their personal opinions and not the employers, that was considered unlawful. Because here, the NLRA does not merely prohibit this, um, the, an employer from barring employees from talking about terms and conditions of employment. The NLRA also does not like policies that, as they say, would tend to chill employees from exercising their protected rights or burden the employee from exercising those rights. And here, I think the board is looking at this and saying, wait a minute, if you're going to have an employee, every time he wants to post something on Facebook, you have to say, I'm expressing my personal opinion and not the opinion of the employer. In their view, that's burdening their exercise of their protected rights. What if um, the policy specified where that disclaimer went? Like, what if that disclaimer was a one-time disclaimer made in the profile of the Facebook user on their info page and and they were not mandated to do it in every specific post? Would that fly that's, with that's, the NLRA? That's interesting. I don't know. I, I don't know whether it would fly that, that, that if you, that, that an employer can say, look, if you're going to have a Facebook page and you're going to discuss our company at all, you've got to put in your profile this disclaimer that I'm not speaking on my company's behalf. I don't know. I haven't, I, I, that particular question hasn't come up. I think that might be seen as overreaching on the employer's part under the current uh, way that the NLRA, um, the NLRB is looking at um, social media. But if you are, here, here's an example though of a of a policy of that sort that did pass um, muster under the uh, NLRA, at least according to the general counsel. Um, here, the employer had put a policy of that sort um, specifically in, within a section on promotional content. And so here, the employer says that employees engaged in social networking must indicate that their views were their own and not those of the employer. And that clause came in a rule that appeared in a separate section of the employee handbook called promotional content. And the employer was referring there only to communications that were designed to endorse or promote or advertise the employer's products or services. And the employer in that case made a specific reference to the FTC regulations that um, really prompted this policy on its part. 
Let's talk for a minute, if we can. Let's switch gears and talk for a little bit, a minute about disclosure and transparency. So here is a line from a policy that I think would not pass muster, um, based on these, this, you know, this new, um, these instructions. So I'll read it to you. Since reputations are built on trust, employees are strongly requested to disclose their identity and affiliation whenever discussing company or company-related topics via social media channels. Because if someone wanted to organize, to collectively bargain and mask their identity to do so, they should be allowed to do so, right? Well, uh, yes, I think that's true. And um, actually, what what's, what struck me is the strongly requested, and I think I was focusing on that language uh, more as you were speaking. You know, I mean, that's not considered an outright bar. But it's but not good enough, is it? It's no, not, it's when not an employer good. strongly requests, right. um, that's pretty much that's a, a requirement. And so you would have to update a line like this to say, since reputations are built on trust, employees are strongly requested to disclose their identity and affiliation whenever discussing company or company-related topics via social media, so long as doing so does not interfere with their rights under the NLRA. That's very nice. That's a, I think that's a very nice way of solving. But do you think that, that employers are going to be reticent to sort of, you know, I guess, I mean, some people could say, why should we play our hand to our opponent? Why should we profess that they have these rights? Rather than doing that, why don't we just say, why don't we just be more specific about what we mean? Do you mean why do we, why should we make a point of reminding our employees that we have protected rights under the NLRA? Yeah, why should so we go ahead and, and point point over to the NLRA from our policy? Why don't we just make sure that we don't run afoul of 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 that act without mentioning it? Well, that's certainly, you know, hedging your bets a bit and, and certainly you don't want and and there's another unrelated quarrel with the NLRB going on right now about employers being required to post notice in their workplaces about NLRA rights. So that's a huge issue for employers right now. But I go back to the fact that under the NLRA, um, the NLRB does not favor employers attempting to chill employees from exercising their rights. And so if you were to put a policy out there that would arguably chill what they say a reasonable employee from exercising their protected rights, then it would run afoul of the NLRA. And, of course, you can take your chances and see whether uh, an unfair labor practice complaint results from that. But that's the answer, the short answer to why, you know, why can't we just ignore this language and tell employees this is what we need, this is what we want. Now, the other thing you mentioned in your blog post was that basically the word confidentiality is a very dangerous word to use in a policy. Talk to us about that, would you? Confidentiality, of course, covers so many uh, possible areas of protected activity. As I mentioned before, the most glaring example being wages and benefits. Um, and you see that in a lot employer in employers' policies. You don't talk to each other about what you're earning. You don't want to start making each other angry about people's salaries. And... Uh, so there's a lot of reasons, and it seems probably counterintuitive for an employer to say um, that employees could freely speak to each other about their wages. But that's just one example of confidential discussions that are protected under the NLRA. 
Another, for example, is um, an employer might decide that, okay, there's a discrimination complaint and we don't want anyone to talk about this with anyone. So, you know, we just got an EEOC complaint and, and again, you can see why the employer would want to keep that quiet. But you can see why, under the law, employees would be protected when they discuss those issues, especially if there's a potential class action lawsuit in the works um, from other employees that have also faced discrimination in the workplace. So when you're talking about confidentiality, you want to restrict your policy. You want to really target it to where genuinely confidential information that you really have as an employer the right and responsibility to protect uh, needs to be um, covered and, and needs to be uh, prohibited from disclosure. And so do you have to would... define that in the policy or can you just go ahead and use the term trade secrets or proprietary information? I think that trade secrets, proprietary information, or um, as I noted, you know, hospital employers would really want to say, you know, confidential patient information because they have a legal responsibility to protect that information as well. I think those terms um, are sufficient. You know, that's that's much narrower than just saying confidential um, information. Now, the only caveat there is employers have long been required to permit employees when they're engaged in union organizing activities for using, um, to permit employees to use logos, you know, um, on T-shirts and on picket signs and everything else as they're engaged in organizing activity. And the law allows them to do that and prevents employers from restricting that. So, again, when you say, uh, if you're talking about trademark, for example, that's where you'd want to be sure not to enforce that policy where you would um, violate their protected rights under the NLRA to, uh, you know, to say General Motors, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so that's the only uh, area where I think you need to narrow it a little bit or, or define your terms a bit. Um, one area uh, I've seen covered in policies before is diplomacy. And I'll read you a recommendation here and tell me if you think this runs afoul of uh, the NLRA. Internal social computing platforms permit a broad audience to participate. So be sensitive to who will see your social media disclosures. If someone hasn't given explicit permission for their name to be used, think carefully about how your social media disclosure could impact intangibles, such as morale or productivity. When in doubt, Leave it out. That seems like a perfectly reasonable guideline, right? It doesn't seem that you're, you're not restricting protected activity. And well, you and kind of are because what if a employer, an employee, wants to be critical of their manager, and right. they want to mention their manager in a post, and the manager hasn't expressly given permission to do so? Oh, that's right. Okay, you're talking. Be- Allowed to do about that, giving right? prior approval. No, pardon me. No, a prior approval requirement of that sort, where you have to get the employee's permission. Um, it's just think about it, uh, right? And that seems like it's just giving you know reasonable guidelines, but but no a requirement that you need to have your supervisor sort of sign off on that. Yeah, that w- that would be a problem. Also, it seems as a, the the language that you've given sounds like it's just giving some practical guidance on you know how to be a good guy on the internet. Um, 
but again, that I'm, I'm looking right now um, for very similar um, policies that um, the pardon me, I'm just trying to find this um, very specific policy that the NLRA had a problem with, and it had similar language, and it seemed as though they're really just trying to say, you know, be decent, be reasonable, you know, don't um, don't be inflammatory. But the the NLRA didn't see it that way. Maybe you can. Um, uh, I can't seem to. Okay, that's all right. Located at the moment, unfortunately, it was a very. Um, it, it went to um, very much the same thing. You know, you want to be careful not to offend, and it seems kind of innocuous, and it wasn't prohibiting outright, just giving some general guidelines of etiquette and such. Basically, it sounds to me like you need to hang a disclaimer about, you know, not interfering or violating anyone's rights under the NLRA on almost every line. Um, I'm sorry, on only... On almost every line in the policy, oh. <laughs> on anything right. at all that could could no, be I think... interpreted as <laughs> violating someone's rights under the NLRA, you would have to put that in the line as a dis, you know as a disclaimer. Um, that's when to do so a, a, would violate uh, the, your rights under the NLRA. I, I do think a single clause in the policy would suffice if it were really um, specifically and well written, noting that any of the above. Um, we we won't enforce this policy to the extent that it would violate your right to engage in. But but you activity. said earlier in our discussion that somebody actually did that and it didn't pass muster. It's not enough, right? That well, it could. It could. That's the thing. It's it it may not be enough, but it there's certainly policies disclaimers out there that have been sufficient. And so, what do you mean to just put a generic? We will not violate the NLRA. Um, would not that particular language would not be precise enough. But um, if you were to talk about what protected right, if you were to say, we won't enforce this policy. Now, see, I, I, you know, I, I don't even feel like comfortable articulating specifically a policy because you can't really say whether it would, um, you know, absolutely be ironclad. But if you were to point out um, protected, the specific protected rights, like the right to you know, complain about or, or the right to talk to coworkers about problems at work, um, the right to uh, talk to outsiders about, let's see, this is, again, where the employer wouldn't want to say, the right to talk about union organizing, you know, what employer would want to articulate that. It's a balancing act. It's, it's tough. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I don't think that, and it's certainly not been stated by the NLRB that, every clause of your policy is going to have an NLRA disclaimer in there. And, you know, I mean, reasonably speaking, you go into the same concern that that you noted earlier, the employer saying, geez, why do I have to, you know, broadcast and spotlight their protected rights to organize and to complain to each other about work? What about uh, government employees? Like, what about if you were a military officer, say a, a non-commissioned officer? Um, 
could the government legally limit your rights? I mean, do NLR, does the NLRA apply to military personnel? No, the NLRA covers private employers. And, of course, when you're talking about public employers and the government, you've got a whole other um, uh, issue to contend with, and that's the Constitution. And um, in public employees have these constitutional free speech rights that... Um, you know, private employees simply don't enjoy. So, wait, wait a minute, I just want to... So, so you're saying the constitu- constitutional rights don't apply to an employee of a, in the private sector? No, only the, uh, only the government can infringe upon your constitutional rights. And this seems to be uh, a notion that employees don't often remember. You know, my employer is violating my free speech rights. No, your employer isn't violating your free speech rights. Only the government or an arm of the government violates your free speech rights. So, not just um, when, so we're not just talking about a federal employee of you know say the, the um, you know Department of Transportation. If you're a teacher in a school district, well, you're a public employee, and your employer can't violate your free speech rights. And then, of course, that's a different legal issue altogether. It has to be um, your your free speech rights are only protected when you're talking about a matter of public concern. That's uh, the specific language. And if it's not, if you're not talking about something that's really just part of your job as a public employer, so as, as an employee of a public entity. And so um, if you're, say, a prosecutor and you're talking about um, how the district attorney's office was unfairly prosecuting uh, a particular defendant. Well, that is a matter of public concern, but if you're a prosecutor, that's also sort of part of your um, part of your job, you know, to to decide whether um, a particular defendant is um, should be prosecuted or not. And that's particular. In fact, in the case that I'm thinking of, it was someone that really had a, a kind of an administrative, a, a managerial role in the. Um, in the attorney's in the district attorney's office, and so he was not protected when he um, railed about that because it was part of his job. Or if you're uh, an employee, a public employee, and you're just complaining about how your supervisor is treating you badly, well, that's not really addressing a matter of public concern to the community. However, if you're an employee and you're talking about how there's widespread racial discrimination. Uh, you know, in the in the city council, um, then you're talking about something that citizens would want to know about and would want to um, hear about, and then that would be protected speech. But it's a whole different it's a whole different uh, analysis in that regard. And of course, go ahead. Public employees are, of course, unionized at far greater rates than private sector employees, but they. Um, they're unionized under different laws, uh, under state collective bargaining laws or labor relations laws, or in the case of federal employees, there's the Federal Labor Relations Act that governs their organizing and, and their protected rights. Talk to us for a minute about copyrighted material. A lot of uh, policies will restrict employees from sharing uh, material that is legally uh, you know, owned by, by someone else, by a copyright owner. 
but one could see how in an emergency, sharing that type of information might actually save lives. And I'm thinking perhaps um, if there was some sort of crisis or emergency and there was uh, perhaps news or information that was shared uh, or that was published to the internet and it was found by someone at the company uh, during a time of calamity and um, that person republished that content. Uh, that technically would be, you know, restricted under a policy that said you can't share copyrighted material. Uh, but in a case like that, it could actually wind up saving lives. So how would you handle well, something like I, that? I can't think of, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of that scenario when that might arise where some confident or some copyrighted material the employers might go to um, saving life during a calamity. Well, let me give you an example. That, okay. Let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, uh, the company is a, a power company, and they operate a nuclear plant. And that nuclear plant is somehow the security of the plant is compromised, and there's a leak. And uh, there's an initial story that comes out about it in a blog. And um, the the situation is so dire that uh, most people have vacated the, the, the area and uh, no one can really be contacted except some well-intentioned employee who is not an official spokesperson of the company finds the blog post and wants to somehow turn attention to it. So he or she publishes a link uh, from the web page of the power station to that blog post to sort of show people that uh, what's going on and, and try to help people from from entering the area. Or maybe they even copy and paste the contents of the blog post, the article, on the site. Now, wouldn't in that well, case the public need to scenario. know? Wouldn't the public well, need to know outweigh the scenario. copyright uh, protection? I, okay, that would, that would presumably violate the employer's policy. But then, of course, this, is, this goes to the issue of just good sense on the employer's part, of course, you can see why that particular information would be copyrighted, but uh, and, and and protected or you know confidential more than that. But there are whistleblower considerations, and so if there was a revelation through this employee's action of potential um, wrongdoing or uh, safety violations of some sort, that employee in disclosing that information could be protected as well by whistleblower considerations. And it also just goes to as an employer, as a as a corporation, as a public corporation, do you really want to enforce that policy knowing the implications for your reputation, for uh, just the public relations, even aside from the legal issues that arise, right? This reminds me of a case where uh, actually it was Walgreens, Walgreens pharmacist, who um, was working the late shift, had uh, two robbers, armed robbers, come in to rob the store, grabbed one of his co-workers and was holding him. And this, um, this, the pharmacist, actually, a few years prior, had also been at work when an armed robber came in and he was robbed at gunpoint. And he had gotten himself a concealed weapon and a, and a license to carry, and he kept that with him at work. So this was just a few months ago, in fact, and, and this was really kind of all over the media. They had the Walgreens videotape on this, and the guy pulled the gun, and the, the, the robbers took off, and he protected himself and his uh, co-workers. 
So it was a nice heroic story, but Walgreens, of course, then fires this pharmacist for violating its policy, its, its no-escalation policy. And the employee is filing suit, um, asserting uh, his rights to protection um, and safety and, and other causes of action. But again, in that case, really, I mean, does it make any sense to enforce that policy in that context? Um, is it really going to backfire on you? Is, is it, it's a matter of thinking strategically. And I think that's the way that employers ideally would, would enforce their social media policies as well and their you know, copyright protections as well. Got it. So it's not so much hope. the language as it is whether or not you, you terminate someone over it because that's when obviously someone's going to go to the NLRB. That's right. That's, you know, there's the policy, and then there's enforcement of the policy. And, you know, that's when the, that's when the trouble can arise is now under, when we're talking about the NLRA, the policy itself can violate the act. As we well, I mean, would someone, here, could someone leg, uh, legitimately file a suit against the policy were it not enforced? Just, just an employee to say, look, I, you know, this policy is unlawful and I'm suing you. What would the damages be if no one's been fired? That's right. You would not likely be able to uh, sustain a cause of action in court without any damages shown in that case. I mean, I I suppose arguably you can try to say you were stifled and you couldn't even really approximate any monetary damages there, but the NLRA NLRA is not enforced in court, and so you can go and file a complaint um, about that. And, and, of course, you're not really entitled to um, monetary damages for a policy violation, really. Um, a, a person that sees themselves as a victim of the policy, um, just by the policy's presence, is not going to really be able to get monetary damages for that. The only way that they would get remedy under the NLRA, aside from sort of, you know, a cease and desist on the part of the employer from implementing the policy, the actual person uh, would have to have been fired and then would get back pay uh, remedy. Um, and that's actually not just the policy itself, but that's enforcement of the policy. Final question, Lisa. Uh, there have been a couple of high-profile incidents where uh, opponents of, 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 of companies have defaced the logo and it's almost been like a sucker punch where legal has responded with a cease and desist and then they publish the cease and desist and all hell breaks loose. Um, I'm thinking of a case um, which was actually neutralized quite successfully um, by a guy named Scott Monty who works for Ford, but it was a, a, a group of um, enthusiasts who had, were using the Ford Ranger logo on a website and they got a cease and desist from legal they published a cease and desist and it sort of backfired until scott monty was able to neutralize the situation and then another where greenpeace uh, disfa- uh defaced the Kit Kat logo of nestle uh, nestle responded with a cease and desist they published the cease and desist before they removed the defaced logo and it re- resulted in basically a, you know a, a dog pile on their facebook page where they were literally brand jacked um, is there any sort of way in a policy that you could, I guess, write rules to 
you know, protect your trademark on the one hand and on the other hand, discourage or prohibit legal from getting into this type of trouble with the cease and desist? Well, this goes, uh, this goes more to, I think, um, you know, trademark and, and uh, trademark law discussions on employment law. So I can't say that I have um, much expertise in this area. But I, I do think, um, and again, this is really more for uh, people in the trademark context, but the, the idea of trademark infringement is if, if you're really trying to sort of present that trademark um, or use that trademark as your own. And, and when it's clearly been uh, defaced and it's quite clear to the observer, then it becomes, uh, you know, then it's more a caricature, and that tends to be um, protected uh, and certainly would be protected, um, I think, for em- employees because it's it's clearly not attempting to circumvent your trademark or, or to... Um, but it's it's more about um, uh, it's more about character, caricaturing the trademark, and uh, when in the context of an unfair you know of a union organizing campaign or an unfair labor practice strike or something, they tend to be pretty permissive about what employees can do with that with that brand. But I, I don't think I can speak to the the trademark issues of people outside that employee context, Greenpeace and such. Lisa, if we want to, uh, you know, get your knowledge on a regular basis, where are you online? Well, we have, or I'm at uh, Employment Law Daily. We have uh, our website, www.employmentlawdaily.com, and we have a blog there. And myself and my colleagues are um, blogging not just about social media issues, but about a variety of labor and employment law problems um, and legal issues uh, and developments. The social media stuff is really, it, it's, it's really the most fascinating area right now for labor and employment attorneys. I mean, it's, there's so many issues that arise and that, that are implicated in social media. And, of course, this is just fascinating content as it is, uh, as surely you know. Um, and it's certainly everyone nowadays is engaged in social media uh, in some respect. And then when we get to the employment issues that arise, privacy issues, um, you know, the labor organizing issues and NLRA issues we've been talking about, discrimination, all of the employment issues that arise make it just so fascinating for employment lawyers. Um, You know, talking about whether um, employers should be, and they are, whether they should be going online and trying to find a job applicant's Facebook page to see what they can find out about them and what happens legally as a result, what legal risk they're taking in doing so. Um, so many, nowadays we're talking about, you know, whether an employee that resigns but was running your Twitter account and takes off with that Twitter account, who, who does that belong to? Whose property is that Twitter account? And, um, and employers now are suing employees for, you know, poaching their their um, Twitter followers, and it's just there's so many fascinating ramifications of social media in the labor and employment context that um, we are talking about this a lot when we blog about labor and employment issues in general. We're talking about social media much of the time. Indeed, indeed, and some of those issues obviously are much easier to deal with than others. But in any event, we will have links to um, Lisa's sites on the show notes uh, for this uh, podcast, and I want to thank you for taking the time to participate in this discussion. 
thank you. You know, it's a fascinating area. and It's a pleasure to talk about, and uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.